When I was 30 years old, imagine being a multimillionaire coming and growing up from nothing. Two years after that day, I had to claim bankruptcy. Although I lost everything, imagine 33 homes, golf course, ski mountain, multi-million dollars, over $100 million, all gone. I'm now living in a rented house with rented furniture and one car, calm and at ease. This is The Playbook. So a lot of people ask me, how the heck did you lose over $100 million and go bankrupt? When I was 30 years old, imagine being a multimillionaire coming and growing up from nothing. Not only a multimillionaire, but I was running Samsung's phone division, the CEO of the world's first smartphone. They didn't even call it a smartphone in 1999. It was called a convergence device, a converged to phone and computer. Six years later, I'm running the most notable sports agency in the world. A dream job. I'm running the sports agency that they made the movie Jerry Maguire about. So not only am I multi-millionaire at 36, but I have access to things that billionaires can't even get access to. Sidelines at Super Bowl, the Oscars, the Grammys, the ESPYs, amazing things in my life. Not only am I married to my dream girl now, but I have three daughters. Gorgeous, healthy daughters under six. I have houses, golf course, ski mountain, boats, plane, whatever I wanted. And I decide that I'm gonna ask my friend Rob to go to the Masters with me. He's a huge golf fan. We're gonna go backstage to the, back in the, in the cabins with Curtis Strange. We're going to the NetJet party. We'll fly private. Joe Montana, Wayne Gretzky, Warren Moon. I said, Rob, I got the best gift in the world, man. Come with me to the Masters. We're gonna do all this. And he looks at me and he says, not a chance. I said, like, what? Did you hear me? He said, oh, I heard you. He said, Dave, I don't like what you're doing and I don't like who you hang out with. I said, Rob, I'm not doing what those guys are doing. He goes, Dave, you can lie to me, but I'm really worried that you're lying to yourself. And he walked away from me. I still get choked up today because I was so mad. I remember telling him, man, Rob, I hate you. And he looked back at me and just went like this. Still today, I'm not friends with Rob. My dad, who left me at five, gives me a birthday present, the first one in 20 years. He sends me a jacket. I'm so excited just to get a birthday present from my father. I think in my head, oh my gosh, he wants to have a relationship with me. He gets it. He's, he wants my forgiveness for all the things that he's done to me. And I open up the jacket and I put it on and it fits perfectly and I start to cry. My wife's like, what's the matter? I said, he actually cared enough find out exactly my size. It fits perfectly. So I open it up to see if it says, especially made for my son's birthday or Armani. He tore out all the pockets. I went from complete joy to hate, to anger. And I called him up and I said, Dad, why are you punishing me? He said, what are you talking about? I said, you sent me a jacket I can't wear. He said, it's not for wearing. I said, what do you mean it's not for wearing? He said, Dave, you need to know that money doesn't buy love and happiness. You're just like me, son. Hang it in the closet. Remind yourself every day you can't be the richest man in the cemetery. I wasn't ready to hear that. I told my dad, F you. I'm nothing like you. You're a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, backend seller. I want nothing to do with you. I'm nothing like you. I hate you. And I hung up. Two weeks later, my life would change forever. I went and asked my wife if I could go to the Grammy Awards with a rapper named Little John. She said, no, I'm worried about you. You're not paying attention to the family, not paying attention to your business, and you're partying way too much. I'm concerned. So of course I lied to her. 
I went to the Grammy Awards, came home at 5.30 in the morning, a complete disaster, and there she was waiting for me. She looked at me and she said, I'm not happy, I'm leaving you. And you better take stock in who you are and what you wanna become or you're gonna end up dead. And I can't wait around to see that, I'm sorry. I looked at her and I said, how dare you? How dare you, after everything I did for you, you were sleeping on a couch for $50 a month when I met you, look around you, who do you think did all this? How dare you talk to me this way? I hate you. And I went to bed. Woke up in the morning full of hate, full of anger. And I'm sitting there thinking, how am I gonna take my wife's happiness away? I'll get divorced, that's fine. I'll take all her money, I'll show her. And then I looked over in the closet. Changed my life, that jacket. I looked at that jacket, still today. I remember thinking, man, I don't hate my, my dad. I don't hate my best friend. I definitely don't hate my wife. I hate myself. I was a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, overseller back in I hated myself. And so I sat there and I remembered these four things and I was gonna take stock of them. Gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. Every day I practiced those for 16 years. Two years after that day, I had to claim bankruptcy. I was so ready, I was so calm, I was so ready knowing with faith that I was gonna be okay. I knew that now I was happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. I had just figured out what I was doing to interfere with it over two years looking at these things. I saved my marriage. My wife was now pregnant with my fourth child, a son. Although I lost everything, imagine 33 homes, golf course, ski mountain, multi-million dollars, over $100 million, all gone. I'm now living in a rented house with rented furniture in one car, calm and at ease, confident and inspired that it all would come back to me because I'd cleared that interference knowing that there's something bigger than me that loved me more than my mom and I had lessons to learn. And I learned those lessons and within two weeks I made my first million dollars. I had clarity, balance, and focus on how to do it. I went and asked for help. Instead of trying to make everything happen, I simply just surrendered and asked for help. I lived, instead of ignorant arrogance, where I knew everything, even though I knew I didn't know, I pretended like I knew everything. I was Midas, I could make anything happen to ignorant humility, radical humility, that I didn't know that I didn't know that I was going to ask for help. And I went out and people asked me, how the hell do you make that money back so fast? I just went to people and said, can you help me? What do you need? Would it help you if I did this? Do you know anyone else that can help me? And this simple strategy of open-minded versus closed-minded, asking for help and asking how I could be of help has made multi-millions of dollars. It's put me into a place not only where I make a lot of money and help a lot of people and have a lot of fun, but my entire life is to empower others to do the same. If I can find a thousand people to empower a thousand people, to empower a thousand people, a thousand times a thousand is a million, a million times a thousand is a billion. I can create a collective consciousness with a billion people to change the world. A world of abundance where there's more than enough of everything for everyone. One of the most common questions people ask me is how do I handle pressure? Um, 
Pressure is interesting to me because remember, I believe that I'm at ease. So pressure is created by dis-ease. And dis-ease is truly created by ego-based consciousness. And so there's four steps to deal with pressure. One is to identify the need of the ego. See, the ego is not what most people think the ego is. The ego does edge goodness out of your life. The ego is not your amigo. This is all true, but it's not just a narcissist, a self-serving, greedy, egotistical type of ego. See, the ego is what creates the pressure. And the pressure is created by the needs of the ego. Let me explain what they are. The need to be right creates pressure. The needs to be separate from, the need to be inferior, the need to be superior, the need to be anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful, all of these needs, and there's many more, they create pressure in your life. It's an illusion. It's a self-prophecy that creates a, a closing of the learning curve, a closing of the comfort zone. Do you know how much time, emotion, value, and energy is wasted by this pressure-creating ego-based consciousness? So what do we do? We practice identifying it. Now, counterintuitive to after we're able to identify the ego-based consciousness that creates pressure, don't resist it. See, the natural reaction to the need to be guilty, resentful, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, and angry is to resist it. Don't do it. Simply stop. Simply stop. Breathe through your nose, out through your mouth. Breathe, get to center, get at ease. And then roll towards what you want, who you can help, who can help you, how best to get it done, and prioritize what's important to you. Not what's important to other people, what's missing and what you don't want, but what's important to you. And apply that why. Don't search for something you already have. Apply the why. If you can identify this pressure, these ego-based consciousness, these needs, and stop, drop, and roll, you'll spend minutes and moments each day under pressure and the majority of your life at ease in the flow where things come to you effortlessly, rapidly, and accurately. See, there's two sides of why. The motivation side of why gets you up, gets you back up, gets you started, gets you back started, but it's a soul sucker. It's an, an unbelievable energy, but it can't get you there. The why that I live on today is the inspired why, which we were talking about before. But when I started out, I lived on that motivational side of why. My why was to buy my mom a house and a car. It was based off of putting my attention and intention onto a, a, an effect, an outcome. Everything I did was for that outcome to buy my mom a house and a car because I believe that money would buy me love and happiness. The only love and happiness that was missing in my life was financial love and happiness. I was blessed to have an extraordinary mom, extraordinary family, extraordinary siblings, extraordinary health. All the things that I don't take for granted today that other people wish for, I had them already. I just thought to complete the set that my why would be this economic, you know, unbelievable gain. And I had to learn the lessons. Like I told you, a lot of pain, setbacks, failures, mistakes had occurred in my life to say that I don't have to search for my why. I need to apply my why. Still under the context of enjoying the consistent every day, persistent without quit, pursuit of my potential, my truth. But instead of putting my attention and attention on the outcomes, I moved it over to the cause, which decreased the interval of time because the interval of time exists between cause and effect. When people put their attention and intention on an outcome, guess what? 
it takes a lot longer, not just pragmatically a lot longer, but worse, exponentially longer in relative time. So if you and I, we sit here in Southern California, we're driving to Maine, and all you keep telling me is, can't wait to get to Maine. Oh my God, we'll be eating lobster in Maine. This is gonna be amazing. I'll be so happy when we're in Maine. And all I look at is, all right, what's the most efficient way to get to Maine? I not only will get there faster pragmatically in man-made constructive time in, in the 24 hours a day, but relatively, even if you beat me in pragmatic time, which you probably won't, relatively, it will take you so much longer to get there, which is true time, the relativity of time. So I have these five daily practices that allow me to take in increments of one day and use midterm and long-term objectives as a trajectory, not an outcome. So each day I wake up and say, yeah, you know, in six years when my son graduates from high school, this is what I, I, I want to do. I'm going to make some changes in my business, you know, of the activity I get paid for, the activity I don't get paid for, spend more time doing this. I want to live to over 111 years old. So that's a very long-term objective. So then I say, well, considering these things that I'm looking to do, it might be buy a penthouse in San Diego when I'm 60. Now, all I focus in on today is what do I need to do to move in that trajectory? Personally, experientially, giving-wise, and receiving-wise. Then I say to myself, now that I know what I need to do today, who can I help with what I want to do and who can help me? Then I move to how to do it. These, you know, how can I be efficient? And the three lenses of how, by the way, which have really changed my life, is when I look at how it's going to happen, I look at how can I be more productive, provide more value, how can I be more accessible, which is a bifocal lens. So it's not just how am I more accessible to others, but how am I accessing what I want, personally, experientially, giving and receiving, and the lens of gratitude. The lens of gratitude is the ability to find what? The light, the love, and the lessons in it, which decrease the relativity of time, as well gives me a more positive mindset, more positive heart set, I feel better, and allows me to be more efficient, effective, and statistically successful with my actual hand set.